Hey everyone, I wanted to welcome you to Encounter Church. I'm Pastor Craig Rice. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Enjoy. We're going to talk about love today. Is that all right? Uh, we're going to talk about love today. It is an uh, inexhaustible subject, and we have been working through the family business. I hope that you've enjoyed this series. We launched the year out with, with this series in its intention of getting us to recognize what the family business is, what it is to not only live for God, but then act, you know, actually do something for Him. Like our, our creation was not just so that we could inhabit space and time on planet earth, but it was that we were sent here with a mission, a purpose, uh, that, that we are not just, not just in it for ourselves, but we're in it for the world, go into all the world. Uh, that's what Jesus told his disciples, and that commission still stays standing to this day. Someone say, go. That's the, that is the family business. It is to go. It's to do the work of the kingdom. But the question then would be, what is that work. And so I'm going to take us to Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12, and I'm going to begin in verse 28. As you are turning there uh, in two weeks, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, the second Sunday of March, we are going to begin uh, three weeks of talks, and we're calling them group chats. Have you ever been in a group chat that you absolutely hated? I love, the little, I love the little notification that pops up when somebody leaves the group chat. We were, we, we were in a family group chat. How many loves those? Those are my favorite. Family group chats. Uh, and, uh, and I am the oldest of my siblings, and I love to relish in that fact. Uh, and so I have learned uh, certain triggers and certain buttons to get reactions yeah, I'm, I'm normal like you. And, uh, and so I love, to, I love to poke the bear at times. I'm just being honest. I, I love to throw the grenade on a group chat and then watch it blow up and I do nothing. <laughs> Don't get in a group chat with me. Uh, and, uh, and then I watch as a sibling's like, has, so-and-so has left the group chat. I'm like, yeah, another one bites the dust. Uh, and then and quite often, I'm the one who leaves the group chat because I hate being in group chats. This series that we're going to be doing for three weeks, we are bringing uh, speakers from in our house, all right? So in our house, and we are going to do a panel setting for three weeks straight called Group Chat. Each week's going to be different. We're working through Luke 15, and what we're doing is we are doing a follow-up to the family business, and we're going to actually unpack, dissect, and get a part of what this looks like through the parallel and the teachings of Jesus. So it's a special three-week uh, thing we're doing group chat. Don't miss it. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss it. It's going to be so much fun, so much fun. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 28 this morning. And yes, we can. Thank you. Mark chapter 12 and verse 28 says it like this. 
one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? I'm going to pause here and I'm going to just teach just a second. Jesus is doing a dialogue. He's having a debate. He's teaching people. He's talking through this. They have have learned at this point the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. And they have figured that out. What I've realized about the Ten Commandments is that even non-believers follow the Ten Commandments, right? Like, like, the more the moral setting of it, I mean, it's in, it should be in our courthouses, right? Like the moral standard, the baseline for what it means to be human starts at the Ten Commandments. Love God. Don't have any other idols. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't have fornication. Don't kill. It's a good one. Uh, that includes the unborn. Okay, so we start at the baseline of the Ten Commandments. So this religious leader is asking Jesus, all right, so the, the Ten Commandments, that's great. Like, you answered well, Jesus. You knew your stuff. But what's the greatest of these commandments? And Jesus replied in verse 29, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 31 says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So I'm going to talk today on the greater work. The greater work. Father, I thank you so much for the moments we have shared, the power of the Holy Spirit that's moving. I pray you would open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts today, and may we have an encounter with you, and may we forever be changed because of what you do in us and through us in this moment. In Jesus' name, someone shout amen. Amen. Someone say, my mind is open, my heart is ready, I receive it, I believe it, do it, Jesus. We've worked through the last few weeks Uh, on the family business, what the family business looks like, the baseline of what it means to be a disciple. And let's, let's do a refresher today. The baseline of what Jesus said is the family business to the disciples was this, that you must find the lost. Find the lost. Even Jesus is like, I was sent to find the lost. The second was that we preach the good news. You preach the good news. Like, you don't have to be on stage to preach the good news. This right here, this is the opportunity of some discipleship, some ability to empower you, to give you tools so that you can work in the kingdom. But preaching, preaching is how you live your life. Preaching is what you talk about with your coworkers and how you demonstrate the love and the power of God. I was having a conversation with somebody this week and, 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 and they were talking through some things and they said, you know, I just want people to see that I love Jesus. Like, I want them to be attracted to me because of my ability to show them Jesus. To which my response to them was, You're focusing so much on the work of trying to show people you love Jesus that you're actually missing out on loving Jesus. 
And that's where Christianity is today. So much focused on sod relationship that we have forgot about genuine love. Genuine love. We preach the good news. You just show up and you preach it. Show people you love Jesus every day by actually loving Jesus every day. Preach the good news. Make disciples. Make disciples, right? Talk, train, teach, baptize. These are the things that Jesus told him them to do. Make disciples of all nations, which lets me know that Jesus is not concerned about race. He's not concerned about nationality. He's not concerned about background. His mission for the church is not to get caught up in all of those things that the world wants us to focus on. But the kingdom does away with all of that and says neither is Jew and neither is Greek. Neither is Jew. We are all part of the body and the family of Christ. Okay, We make disciples tell everyone about the kingdom. Everyone, not just, it's not limited to a few. We cast out demons. Like, this is baseline. Cast out demons. Like, you have the power to do this within yourself. It's not left up to me. Thank God. Like, you have that power. Okay, cast out demons. Heal the sick. Jesus just told, like, do this. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Give freely as you have been given. Have revival. This is the baseline of what the family business is. And we work through how to increase our resistance so that it would actually prove the faith muscles to be useful. We worked on the second week about worship and getting rid of false idols and those. And so our worship is connected with God. The third week we worked on legacy, on leaving a legacy for future generations. Fourth week we worked on getting our spark back, our energy, our spiritual energy renewed. And last week we worked on getting our spiritual toughness, emotional toughness, and physical toughness back in the game so that we can keep the spark alive. So today I want to finish out my portion of family business by talking about the greater work. The greater work. Jesus says it in John 14 and 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Baseline. If you believe in me, you're going to do the same works I've done. And even greater works... Because I am going to be with the Father. Now, let me pause here and say this. Jesus told them your baseline is going to do the same thing I've done. What was Jesus doing? Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. He was, he was saving souls. He was just... And we're like, see, in modern time, we look back and we're like, the greater work is raising the dead and the greater work is healing the sick and the greater work is... That's not actually the greater work. That's the baseline. That's the baseline. But Jesus said, you're going to have the ability to do greater work. So what is greater than raising the dead? What is greater than healing the sick? What is gre- May I say today that the greater work is going to be love? We're going to, we're going to get into it. Luke, or John, excuse me, John 13. So before Jesus says what he just said, same works, greater works, he goes into a discussion with the disciples and he says it like this, John 13, 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Everybody say that. Love each other. Just as I have loved you. 
selfless, sacrificial, without any hesitation. Love each other as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Oh, wait. Casting out devils and healing the sick and, and raising the dead and, 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 and doing all these things doesn't prove? No, no, no. What proves that you are a disciple is the love that you have for one another. I'm just going to teach the Bible today. That's what we do around here. Uh, we don't throw any other mojo in there. We just teach the Bible. Is that all right? Our next, the next verse says this. Do we have a next verse? If that's 1 Corinthians, that's, we're, we'll get there. The greater work is love. The greater work is love. And we often try to overcomplicate love, don't we? Think about this the other night. Like, we try to overcomplicate. So when we think through the context of Jesus saying, love each other just as I have loved you, we think in these terms, like if you've been in church any, any period of time, you're going to hear love like the filios love, brotherly love, right? You're going you're gonna to hear about agape love, right? And what we do, think, I think, we have done a disservice to Christians and disciples as a whole. Here's why. Because we are labeling them as things that we feel are unachievable, so when we look at Scripture and we hear things like, love each other just as I have loved you, it is hard for us to get and grasp that because we have overcomplicated love. If you will just start by loving, and we're going to get into 1 Corinthians, what love is and what love is not, because that is going to show us how we actually tap into love. For us, for us we overcomplicate love by reducing love to feelings. Love isn't a feeling, and feelings aren't facts. Your feelings are not facts. In fact, there are two parts of your brain, one that deals with the feelings and the other that deals with the logic. And in order for us to get to the logic, sometimes you have to work through the feelings, but in order to get the facts to actually get into the feelings, it takes intentionality. Because oftentimes we are driven by our feelings, not by the facts. Have you ever had feelings about someone and then you find the facts out and you're like, oh, I was wrong. What about the feelings that you've had? See, psychology shows us that for us, we can be angry at somebody, but really we're not angry at them. We're envious of them. But our brain tells us, because of society that we're in, that you cannot literally tell somebody, I am jealous of you. I am envious of you. So what does our brain do? Our brain tricks us into saying, I'm angry with them because it's more palatable to say I'm angry than it is to say I'm envious. And the anger actually stems from the envy. It's like you, you, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, the coffee is not good, you stubbed your toe, you, you broke a toenail, the car's tire was flat in the morning. Anybody been that day? Like, it always happens on a Monday, never on a Friday. And you're, try, you're late for work and you're getting yelled at at your boss. And then, and then Sally from reception walks in front of you 
and, you, and says the wrong thing at the wrong time, and now Sally is your arch nemesis. You hate Sally. And all Sally did was, are you having a good day? Because your feelings are not aligned with the facts. And oftentimes we're overcomplicating love because we associate love with feelings. This is why marriages die, because we once had a fizzle, fizzle, spark thing going on. Things are good. We once had this physical attraction with them, but when that physical attraction is gone, then love must be gone. Then love must leave because we've associated love with feelings. And if that were true, then Romans 8 is a liar. Because Romans 8 says nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if feelings and love were synonymous, then the love of God is based on how He feels towards you. If you've sinned and He's upset, then He doesn't love you. That is not what the Bible says. There is nothing in heaven, in earth, in hell, in principalities, in powers. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So the love of God is not feelings. The love of God is eternal. I was, uh, <laughs> I was in a coffee shop recently and I happened, to get, I happened to get sat next to an actress. Um, I don't know who she was, uh, but her agent came in and sat next to us. And I have these noise-canceling headphones that has uh, the ability to have transparency mode so I can still hear, although I'm like incognito. And so I click the button. I'm like, ooh, I'm interested in what's happening right here. <laughs> don't judge me. You've done the same. <laughs> We're sitting in close proximity. Like, I'm going to listen to what's happening right now. Like, this is cool. Sitting next to this actress. And so the, the agent comes in and sits next to her and is like, hey, uh, what are you feeling about this new season of this show that's going to be happening and, and all this? Hey, we've got multiple contestants that are coming on the show. And so I very quickly started putting the pieces of the puzzle together that this was a reality television show about people searching for love, much like The Bachelorette. And as I'm listening to this conversation, as they're, as they're talking about who they're bringing in, can I just tell you, TV is fixed. Like my innocence was taken in this moment. Because this woman's married. And how I found out she was married is because her husband's getting divorcing her because she keeps going on reality television shows looking for love when he's at home. She want, he's trying to take her escort. He's trying to go. I've, I know way too much. Finally, I was like, I got to get back to the message. And I clicked it off. I'm like, I can't listen to this because inside of me, I want to help fix this woman, right? I'm, I'm, the one you're with is not your husband. Like, get back to him. Like, and they're going on and on and on and on. And, and it's this human nature that we're searching for love. We're actually not searching for love. We're searching for a feeling that I'm wanted, I'm valuable, I'm needed. And that's why we have these things, because it appeals to our feelings, not the facts. Love is not a feeling, and feelings aren't facts. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is and what love isn't. He says, if I could speak with all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
that modern translation is you're annoying. Right? Like, if I didn't love, I could speak in all the languages, but I didn't love others. I would be noisy. I'd be a clanging symbol. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had all such faith, I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So love is patient and kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Oh, that's not a feeling. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And then the chapter concludes in verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. What is the Apostle Paul saying? Love does not end. Feelings come and go. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. I'm going to draw for you this morning. I can't promise my handwriting is going to be good. I should have been a doctor, but that didn't happen. I want to draw what I'm going to call, just for funsies today, I'm going to call this the love triangle. All right. (laughs) Some of you need to have humor. Okay. This is what I'm going to call the love triangle. Everybody see that? Thank you. This is, this is, this is the love triangle. And, and if the greater work is love, then we need to start at the very top of what this means. And Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is that you love God. So this would lead me to believe that the very top of all of this trying to get it as bold as we can today for you. The very top of all of this is your core design. What you were designed, how you were designed, and Jesus said you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your very core design goes back to loving God. Our very core design was created in love so that we could love God who loved us first. We're created by God's love, in God's love, for God's love, to distribute God's love. Love never fails. It never gives up. It endures all circumstances and situations. See, you are shaped by your genetics, but you are designed by God. Okay? I know... Oh, the health problems that you have are shaped by your genetics, but your design, the inner part of you, the soul of who you are, was designed by God. You're shaped by your genetics, but you're designed by God. You are created in the image of God. And what is God? God is love. God is love created in it. So if we have 
no love, we don't have God. We have missed out on our core design when we start focusing more on hatred. Now, what did, what did 1 Corinthians say? Love is not. So the moment we develop jealousy, the moment we develop rudeness, the moment that, that we are, are showing uh, our irritable ways, the moment that we have to have it our way or no way, the moment that we start having these issues, guess what? We are losing out on the love of the Father. Because these things are opposite and contrary to who God is and our core design of who we were created and shaped to be. We were created and shaped to give love. Because we were created in love, designed for love so that we could then love others. And often we base our view of God's love on how we are feeling today. We view how God is and what God does for us on how our life is going. If our life is going terrible, then God's terrible. Have you ever noticed that when life is going bad, you blame God, but when life is going good, you, you compliment yourself? You pat yourself on the back. I did that. But God doesn't get the credit for it. See, our identity, our core design of who we were designed to be needs to be formed. Made formed. It's getting, like Jeremiah said, back on the potter's wheel and being formed and shapen. See, many of us have been misshapen because of hurts and betrayals and fears and, and anxieties and issues and things that have happened. We've been misshapen to have instant reactions instead of responses. Reactions come from our feelings. Responses come from our facts. And so we have been misshapen and misaligned because we don't view it through the lens of love. And maybe this will free someone here this morning, but God isn't waiting on you to become someone that He can love. He loves you just as you are. Are the greater work... The greater work starts at the top of the love triangle of understanding my core design is that I was created in love and just as I am, I can love God. Because He first loved me, the Bible said. See, we're created that way and we build His church on love. It's not in fear. It's not in legalism. It's not in works. It is based and built on love because love has given us a design for a specific mission. Our core design is that we love God. That we love God. Our core design, what does that look like? I, last week we opened up, or I guess, yeah, this last week we opened up the church from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. so that we could pray. Thank you for everyone who showed up. Great, great time. It set the trajectory for the week, and it was amazing. And God has really just pushed into me, into, my, into me personally, that I've got to be able to spend more time. Now, I pray, I worship, I love God, I do all those things, but there's something in me that's just a heaviness, a weightiness in my life that I am so hungry, I am so 
so desperate for him. And I have felt like God is just pushing me into deeper times of prayer. Because if I'm not, if I am not connected to the love of God, then I cannot love others the way God loves me. My core design, the moment things start getting a mess, the moment I start fearing, the moment I start having anxiety, guess what? What does the Bible say about fear and anxiety and, and, and pressure and all? Perfect love cast out fear. So if I realize that I'm living in fear and I'm living in anxiety and I'm living in pressure, it's maybe due to the lack of perfect love in my life. And I've got to get focused back on this. And the moment I focus back on this and I love God, everything else begins to align in my life. Fear leaves, anxiety leaves, sickness leaves, hurt leaves, bitterness leaves. It leaves because love does the casting out. It pushes it. Love and fear cannot coexist inside a soul of someone. Our second part of this triangle, this love triangle, is what we're going to call our calling. Our calling. 1 John 4 and 16 says it like this. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them, and we live in God. Thanks, John. Appreciate the circular reasoning here. Our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, we're getting there, our next verse. It's coming, I promise. not able to get it all right let's pull it up first john four this is why you have a paper bible on hand that's why you know the books of the bible that's why our big e kids is teaching the books of the bible right here so you can go through it right here this is just case in point first john four and it says it like this uh in uh, let's get in here. Where are we? If anybody knows me, I am hating this moment right now so much. <laughs> but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear's of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We love each other because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Wow, that's strong. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And He has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You don't get an option. I love so-and-so because they make me laugh, but I don't love so-and-so because they make me uncomfortable. That's not in the Bible. Because we're basing love in feelings, not in facts. If you love God, then you must love 
people. And I, I mean, I've been in church a long time. I've been pastoring for over 17 years. And, and, and Tom, one of the biggest questions I get from people is, is this, what's my calling? What's my calling? I'm trying to find my gift mix. I'm trying to find what I'm supposed to do. What's my calling? Anybody ever struggle with your calling? You're calling, like, what am I supposed to do? What is my calling? I, my core designs to love God, but what is my actual calling? And then we put our calling based on our profession, but that's not the calling. Your calling is not your profession. Your calling as a believer is simply to love people. So whether you're a doctor or a garbage man, love people. Whether you're a nurse or a teacher, love people. Whether you're a preacher or whether you are an optometrist, love people. You don't, like, our goal, our job is to love people. And if we don't love people who we do see, how can we say we love God who we don't see? John lays it out very clearly to us that our calling stems from our core design. Right? This, I almost drew on the TV. This, <laughs> this right here goes back and forth. When I understand my core design of loving God, then I understand my calling is to love people. And the moment I love people, it leads back to my core design of loving God. It's back and forth. It is simply love people. That's what John says. Love people. You must love people by how you see them, by how you hear them, and how you treat them. Matthew 5 and 38 says it like this. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And in that way you will be acting as true children. This is the family business. As true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect. Gee, thanks. That's great. Even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. The greater work... The greater work is loving those people who don't love you. Because it's easy to love your friends. It's easy to be kind to those who are kind to you. It's easy not to say bad things about somebody to who, who... See, the reason why we get into that mess is because of our feelings. Some of us are so deep into our feelings that we have forgotten about the very facts and what it means. Our calling, you're never going to be fulfilled until you step into your calling. What is your calling? Love people. And when you love people, it leads back to your core design of loving God. But you're never going to be able to love people if you don't love God. You see this love triangle? It gets messy, like every love triangle. Don't get into it. 
stay here. This is the only love triangle you need. All right. Jesus teaches about forgiveness to the disciples. How often should we forgive if somebody hurts me? 70 times 7, Jesus said. Forgiveness is a part of our calling of learning how to forgive. You will be offended. You're going to be offended by your family. You're going to be offended by your friends. You're going to be offended by people you don't like. You're going to be offended by your boss. You're going to be offended by the person who cuts you off in traffic. You're going to be offended by anybody and everybody. And you'll even be offended by God at times. But how we deal with the offense determines the level of love that we have. Because if we hold on to bitterness and grudges then what we're doing is we are eliminating the love of God. And we're saying, we're saying, I can't love them. And what we're doing is then we're also saying God can't love them. See, see, here's the problem with mainstream Christianity. Mainstream Christianity says we love and empower those who look like and act like us. But that's not genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity says it doesn't matter what everything else is about them. You may not agree with them, but you're still supposed to love them. Love is not the acceptance of their sin. Love does not condone their actions. Love is not this moment of, of giving them a hall pass for their iniquities. And I think that we equate, if I love someone, then I'm, I'm condoning what they're doing. No, 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 no. It is the love of God and the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. If they're not able to see the love of God and feel the goodness of God from you, how are they ever going to get to repentance? See, maybe instead of bashing them with your political belief, maybe we just go ahead and bash them with love. That's the calling. That's, that's this thing that Jesus is trying to teach them. Hey, if you get sued in court and they take your shirt, give them your coat. If a soldier comes up and says, hey, I want you to carry my bag a mile, you carry it two miles. Because what happened was the law demanded, the law demanded that if a soldier went to a Jewish individual, a Roman soldier went to a Jewish individual and said, hey, I need you to carry my bags for a mile. They were literally obligated to carry it for one mile. No longer than one mile. They carried it for one mile. And Jesus says, I want you to go above and beyond that because love is not about what the law dictates. Love is what God dictates. Law will keep you bound to rules and regulations where love is free, it is open, and it may not make sense. Because love is not about feelings. Love is about the facts. And God loves everyone. And if God loves me, he loves them as well. My calling comes from my core design that if I love God, I'm going to be able to love people. This is the family business. This is what this is all about. Romans 13 and 8 says it like this. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandment says you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Love God. Love people. And the third part of this love triangle is that if you cannot learn... to have character... Because character is the third part of this equation that says, 
I need to love myself. And often we don't love others because we're having a hard time loving ourselves. Why do we have more confidence and love for God and yet so little love and confidence for ourselves? Some of you may get this correct. Love God. But you cannot get this fully correct if you do not know how to love yourself. Because this leads to this, and this leads to this, and this leads to this, and this leads to that, and this leads to this. Do you see this this morning? And I think the biggest equation of this, oh, pastor, I love people. Oh, pastor, I love God. But then if I ask you the question, but how do you feel about yourself? Oh, I'm angry at myself. I can't believe I did that. See, I can tell by your language about how you feel about yourself. Loving yourself is not braggadocious. Let me say this. Loving yourself is not getting pedicures. It's not getting a massage. It's not buying the latest gadget or toy. Loving yourself is not taking the next vacation. Loving yourself is not taking PTO from work. That's not loving yourself. See, we think and equate love as in doing self-care. Self-care is different than self-love. Just bring out the little counselor in me today. My wife's trained me well. You need self-care, and self-care can lead to self-love. But if you get up from the massage table and you still hate the person you see in the mirror, you really don't love yourself. Buying the latest thing will only fix in a moment... What needs to be fixed eternally inside. It may satisfy the itch or the crave to feel the, love, the, the want and the desire being fulfilled in your life, but you don't really love yourself. That's not really what love your, loving yourself is. See, what we need to do is we need to catch a vision of the version of ourself that God wants us to become. God has a version of you that starts here. And flows here. God has a version of you. And see, what, what we've done is we really don't hate ourselves. We really don't hate ourselves. We hate the version of ourselves we have settled for. Because the version of yourself that you have settled for is not the real version of you that God has designed you to be. See, your worth and your value is not connected to what you do. Your worth and your value is connected to who God says you are in your core design that he loved you so we love him. Our worth and our value is not connected to how successful you become in business or how successful you become in a career or how successful your marriage is. That's not it. Your worth and your value is based on God creating you in his image. God loves you just the way you are. But the love of God is not willing for you to stay where you are. Love demands change and response. 
This is why repentance is such a big thing in the context of loving God. Because if I cannot learn to repent when I've been wrong, I don't love God, I don't love people, and I really don't love myself. Peter denied Jesus three times. I'll never deny you. Jesus is like, by the time the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter did. He denied him three times at, at his crucifixion. So when Jesus later appears on the shore and is cooking some breakfast, like the breakfast of champion fish, <laughs> threw up a little bit. Fish is great at five o'clock and on. And Peter comes swimming to him. Peter then takes him, uh, Jesus takes Peter off to the side. And Jesus asked Peter three questions. Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Like, Jesus, you got Alzheimer's? Like, what's going on? Of course I love you. Then care for my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And now Peter's at, he's agitated. Of course I love you. I told you I loved you. Doesn't it? Sounds like some of your fights in your homes. I told you I'd take out that trash, and I, I'm doing it. I just got, got around to it. And Peter, Peter's like, I love you. I told you I love you. I, I, like, why aren't you believing me? And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter did not hate himself for denying Christ. But he hated the version of himself that he had settled for. And by settling for a lesser version, he then decided he wasn't going to live out his calling. And Peter went back to fishing for fish instead of fishing for people. And God had to get this correct so that everything else aligned for Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Care for my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. It goes back to calling. And once Peter gets his calling, then he can learn and develop the character that God was putting in him so that he could learn how to love himself. Peter, Peter realized that the only person who could steal his future was the lesser version of himself. The only person who can steal your future from you is the lesser version of you. And some of us have settled for a lesser version than what God has called us to. And so we are losing out on the future God has prepared for us because we hate the version of who we are. And if we aren't careful... We're going to ruin and mess this thing up. But how do we stay in this thing? We learn to love God. And by loving God, we love people. And by loving people, we can love ourselves. And by loving ourselves, we can then love God. Because you can't love your you can't not love yourself and not love people and still love God. Because you are people too. And if God loves people, then he loves you. And Romans 8, man, if you'll come. Romans 8 says we have this confidence in him. And then it goes on to say that the only one who can condemn us is us. 
only one that can condemn us is us. The only one that can keep bringing this stuff back up is us. See, your character is not what you show everybody. Your character is what's revealed between you and God. You can act like you love yourself. In fact, I've known probably some of the most arrogant, braggadocious people really have the most disdain for themselves because they have to bury it underneath a price tag of the things that they have. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning and what about this speaks to you. But if you really want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you've got to go back to your core design. I was designed to love God. And when I love God, my calling is loving people. When I love people, I can love myself. When I love God, I can love myself. And when I love myself, I can love people. When I love people, I love God. Do you see the triangle today? Some of you, this is your big problem. This is your biggest issue. The version, the version of you that you wake up to. That's our biggest issue. Because when we don't love ourselves, we view how God loves us based on how we feel about ourselves. And God has sent me today with a mission your love back. In Revelation, there was only one issue with, with the church. They did all the works, all the great things, all the things that Christians should do, believers should do, but one thing they did not do. One thing that they had lost in the midst of all the doing, all the religiosity, all the service, all of it, is they had lost their first love they lost their first love and that's the thing God had against the church church if we're going to be about the family business this year may we get our love correct because from the love heal the sick raise the dead cast out devils give freely as you have been given because love is the center of it stand all over the room with me today. Love. Will you take your hand, place it over your heart today? It's typically the symbol of love, of the heart. Will you just repeat with me these words today? I just feel this in the Holy Spirit. I haven't rehearsed this. I may stumble across it. Just forgive me as I do, but feel like the Holy Spirit's leading us to this moment. Will you just say these words, Jesus, I love you because you first loved me. Jesus, I'm going to love people 
because I love you. And I'm going to love myself because you love me. Some in this room here this morning, you need to start with forgiving yourself for the things that you hate about yourself. There's a version that's better than where you're at right now. There's a version out there that's better than you right now. That version's waiting. It's God's design for you to become the person he's created. And the lesser version of you is robbing your future right now. And God wants you to step into a new season, a new future today by being able to love yourself. And some of us just need to forgive ourselves. We're living in regret. We're living in constant blame. Some of you are just, you're going through it. I just, I see this in the Holy Spirit this morning. Some of you just literally have this hamster wheel going in your head of shame, condemnation, and guilt. Shame, condemnation, guilt. Shame, condemnation, and guilt. And it's just running. It's just running rampant. You're living tormented because you're living with what could I have done better if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't gone that. You're living with this constant battle with inside of you. And the Holy Spirit has sent me today to just liberate you. You don't have to become someone better for God to love. You are loved just the way you are. But the love of God doesn't want to leave you right where you're at. He wants to take you into a better future, a better version of yourself. And if you'll stop hating the version of the lesser self that you are, God has something better for you. And today, God has sent me just to help liberate you and tell you your better version is on its way if you will allow the perfect love of the Father to eliminate the fear, to eliminate the hamster wheel that's going on, to get rid of the internal battle and struggle. If you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's going to settle the rest. Today, Father, I, help me to love me. And help me to see the version, the greater version that you have for me. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow Jesus to transform your soul. We pray that you have an amazing week. Thanks again for being a part of the Encounter Church family. God bless you.